Welcome to the Milestone Church Podcast. Whether you are at home, on the road, or at work, we hope you find this message encouraging and helpful for your life. You can watch other messages just like this one on our website at milestonechurch.com slash messages. Good morning, church. Welcome. Welcome to church. Happy Fourth of July weekend to you. I want to take just a moment. I want to look into the camera. I want to welcome our Haslett campus, our McKinney campus. And I know this is a big travel weekend, so there are many of you that are tuning in and watching online. Can we give them a hand and those who are joining us in our video venues as well? I'm excited to kick off this uh, new series called Summer at Milestone. And really the whole heart of this series, the reason that we're all here is because we all wanna grow in our walk with God, right? So th- that's the intent of this series, and, and I'm excited because over the next couple weeks, some of Pastor Jeff's friends, some amazing pastors are gonna be here, they're gonna be on this stage, they're gonna be speaking to us, what really is some of their life messages, and so they're gonna, they're gonna speak and impart truth and life to us, and I have the opportunity to kick that off uh, this morning, and, and I wanna talk to you about something that's really been a passion, been, been a pursuit of my life, and I want to talk to you this morning about cultivating a life of prayer. Now, I can already picture in a lot of your minds, you're thinking, like, prayer? Like, really? Like, that's your life's message? Well, let me just tell you, I'm not talking about praying, like, before a meal or maybe saying a prayer at, 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 before bedtime. I'm talking about really having an intimate relationship with God through Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. In my, my late teenage years, when I was 19 years old, I was really hopeless, I was directionless, um, I was really full of fear and anxiety, and uh, I tried to end my life one night, and uh, in that moment of darkness, in that moment of despair, something profound happened that changed the real course of my life forever, and that was Jesus showed up and, and he touched me in the moment of my darkest hour. When I didn't love myself, when I didn't really wanna live, when I felt like giving up on life, Jesus said, I have a plan for your life, and I want to have a relationship with you. And I gotta admit, in that, in that moment, it, with that encounter with God, it just, my circuits blew. Because if you grew up like I grew up, I, I believed in God, I really did. I believed God was real. I believed heaven was a real place, and hell's a real place. And I just didn't know like, where I fit on the scale. Like, am I, am I good enough? Am I gonna make it? Am I, am I doing, you know, and kind of we all feel like, um, you know, I can't measure up. And so really I thought God was way up there. I'm way down here and I'm never gonna measure up. So why even try? And like I said, I, I believed in God, but it was that moment where Jesus touched me that I encountered a love that I'd never experienced in my entire life. And it really just turned everything around. And for the next couple of days following that, that event that took place, I began to contemplate my life and what had happened and everything I had thought I had known about God and my perception of God and how God was not so distant, that he's actually a lot closer than we think, and that Jesus is more forgiving and loving than you could ever imagine. And I thought, well, if this who God is, who God is and this is the kind of God that I wanna give my life to. And so I decided I was gonna go all in. I decided, man, I'm gonna jump over that line and I'm not gonna look back. And it set me on this pursuit of having a relationship with God through the avenue of prayer and worship, having an intimate relationship with God. And, and I gotta tell you, in those early years of me seeking God, it, it wasn't glamorous at all. And honestly, it was pretty awkward. I mean, have you ever been in a, in a room with maybe you and 
a friend and maybe somebody new that you never met and your friend walks out and there's just you with them. And you're like, hey, uh, so, hey, buddy, uh, what do you do for a living? Like, you notice that every conversation you have, even with someone you really love, it like has a lull in it, kind of like, you don't know what to say. I just go ahead and acknowledge it. I'm like, well, there he goes, you know, there's a lull. That's how I felt when I was pursuing God. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. Honestly, it was really awkward. And, and, and I, I tried the best I could, and I didn't know, like, what type of words do I uh, say to a God who is holy? Like, where do I read in my Bible? Like, what am I supposed to do? The mechanics of prayer, I, I just didn't know what to do. But I kept coming back, and I just kept showing up. And the more I began to pursue God, the more that he began to show up in my life. And then all of a sudden, whenever I would just walk into my bedroom, it was almost like he was there waiting on me. I, I would walk into my bedroom and I was like, God, you're here. I can feel your presence. And I became so addicted to his presence. I'll tell you that my favorite thing to do in life by far is to spend time in worship and prayer. I absolutely can't get enough. My life has forever been changed by the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God. And as I begin to show up and as I begin to study the life of Jesus, because I was like, I need to know who this Jesus is because I don't even know who I am. I mean, you know, when you meet the real Jesus and you find out who he is in his word, he'll tell you who you are. Begin to learn about my identity in Christ and who his word says that I am and that I'm a son of God, that I'm a child of God, that I can come before him, that I don't have to run and hide because of you know, the, the things in my life that aren't quite right yet. He's a father who loves me, he welcomes me into an open relationship with him. And as I begin to study the life of Jesus, I quickly, quickly begin to learn what God was like. If you ever wanna know the nature of God, just look at the life of Jesus. Because Jesus said this, I'm in my Father, and my Father's in me. He said, guys, you know the Father because you've seen me, and if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so if you ever thought that God was just full of judgment and hate, no, no, look at the life of Jesus. That's what the Father is like. And so as I began to study that, I understood this foundational principle, that I would never build a life of prayer if I don't understand the nature of my Father. Because when you understand his nature and you understand his character and how much he loves you and he's for you and that he approves you, you can come into his presence with confidence. I don't come holding my head down. I don't come with shame. I don't come with guilt or condemnation. I come knowing that I'm a son of the living God. And so a lot of times when we talk about prayer, we talk about a lot of times the, the what of prayer. We talk about the mechanics, and I, I, I could share with you some things, and I'm going to share a few mechanics in a minute, but really, it's all about the why of prayer. Like, if we don't get the why, you're never gonna flourish in the what. The what is just gonna be something that you have to do, and it's never gonna bring life to you. And I want us to look this morning, if you have your Bibles, we're gonna be in John chapter 14. And, and I love this passage because it really depicts the heart of the nature of Jesus the Father and the Holy Spirit. This is known as the farewell discourse, John 14 through John 17. And this is really a conversation, one conversation that Jesus has with his, his team, his guys, his disciples. 
And it's a heart-to-heart conversation. It's, it's after the Last Supper, and Jesus is about to go to the cross, and he, and he brings them together. He says, guys, i got to share some things with you. And there's three parts to the farewell discourse. The first part is what we're going to talk about, and it's all about Jesus showing them the unity between him and his Father and the Holy Spirit, and then he gives them this command. He says, love one another as I have loved you. The second part is an analogy. It's the analogy of the vine. He says, my father is the gardener or the vine dresser. I am the vine and you're the branches. John 15, if you remain in me and I and you, you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So he tells him that. And then this last part is, is really a prayer. In John 17, it's where Jesus, he's praying for his disciples and then also he prays for the future church. He prays for us. I take comfort in knowing that that Jesus prayed for us and the Bible says he's sitting on the throne and he's interceding for us and he's still praying for us today. So let's read John chapter 14 together. I'm gonna read out of the NIV. Starting in verse 15, it says this. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you, and he will be in you. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them, and I will show myself to them. Then Judas, which is not the Judas that betrayed a different one, said, but Lord, why do you intend to show us yourself and not to the world? Jesus replied, anyone who loves me, they will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and we will make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear, they are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. He says in verse 25, all this I have spoken while I am still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and he will remind you of everything I have said to you. Now, this passage shows us clearly this this cohesiveness, this unity between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what I love particularly is he says, if you love me and you obey me, we will come to you and we will make our home within you. Think about that for a moment. Is that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit come and make their residence in their home inside of us. You know, when it it comes to prayer, there are three traps that that we've got to avoid. The first trap is what I like to call, it's the religious trap. It's the trap of just, you know, it's about how you pray and what you pray and how loud you pray and how long you pray and how eloquent your prayers are and it's all about you. It's all show and it's no relationship. Jesus would say, don't don't be like the religious hypocrites who stand on the street corner and pray so that other people can see them. See, prayer in its essence is relational, not transactional. Prayer is all about a, a relationship between Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, and with you. It's a relationship. It's not it's not like if I do these things, then God will move on my behalf. If I do this, or if I pray this way, then God will answer. No, it's a it's a relationship. It, it, it's understanding that, like, I don't have to just be in my prayer closet. I can walk with God throughout the day. 
I can have a relationship with him. He wants to speak to me. He wants to reveal himself to me. It's relational, not transactional. The second trap is the performance trap. Man, this is the one that from time to time I find myself falling into. This is the trap of, you need to do more. You need to pray more. Like, you know better. Like, why are you doing that? Like, you should, you should overcome that by now. Like, you should be struggling with the same thing. It's, it's the performance trap. And, and I love the fact that Jesus, when he comes out of the baptism waters in the, in the Jordan River, is that he hadn't preached any message. He hadn't healed any people. He hadn't cast out any demons. He hadn't built any disciples. He hadn't done anything yet. He just lived in family for 30 years. And then all of a sudden he goes and he gets baptized. And when he comes out, the father shows up on the scene and he says, this is my son. In him I am well pleased. He's putting his approval on Jesus. And it was out of that approval that Jesus did every single thing that he did. His relationship with his father was based out of the approval of the father. Listen, I like to say it like this. Don't live for approval. Live from approval. Don't live for the approval of God. That's performance. It's a cycle that you're never gonna, it's gonna wear you out. It's gonna exhaust you. Live from the approval. Walk in peace. Walk in freedom. And the third trap is the condemnation trap. And this is the trap of, like, I can't believe, like, you did that. You're not good enough. You said you were gonna stop that. You're a sinful person. What, thing, what, do, you, what do you think you have the right to come into the presence of a holy God? See, that's the, that's the one, two, three punch of, of the enemy. Guilt, shame, and condemnation. Why? He wants to keep you down. He wants to keep me down. He wants to beat us up. Why? He doesn't want you to go into the presence of the Father. Because he knows in the presence of the Father is everything you need. You're going to find approval. You're going to find life. You're going to find peace. You're going to find joy. You're going to find security. Everything you need comes from the presence of the Father. Genesis chapter 2, 7 Something that I've just been thinking about for the last month or so. It's just blown my mind. I've read it many times, but I've never really thought about it in this way. It's when God forms man out of the dust of the ground. I want you to think about this. God, the creator, the father, he bends down and, and he, he basically forms man out of not dust, but I like to say maybe clay or mud. And it's kind of got to stick together. And, and there he is. And then the Bible says he leans down. And he breathes into the nostrils of man, and he came a living being. I mean, think about this for the moment. When Adam opened his eyes, the very first thing he saw was his father's face. Have you ever been so close to someone that you've seen yourself, your reflection in their eyes? Think about that for a moment. When Adam opened his eyes and he saw his reflection in his father's eyes, he's like, I look like you. You look like me, and in that moment, what Adam felt in my mind was the approval and the love of the Father. And it gets better. Adam and Eve, they begin to walk with God, not in the Texas heat, but in the cool of the day, the Bible says. They begin to walk with God and converse with God and fellowship with God the way God intended, but we all know what happened. We all know that sin entered the world through disobedience. There was a separation between you know, the relationship of humanity and the Father, God being holy and us being sinful. And so God set his plan in motion to send his son, Jesus, to come and to die on a, on a cross and 
pay the penalty for our sins and, and be resurrected from the dead and made a way for us now to have a right relationship with him. I love Ephesians 2.13. It says this, but now in Christ Jesus, you, me, who was once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, not by my performance, not by my works, not by my Bible knowledge, not by studying this or starting this and stopping that, but by the blood of Jesus, I've been brought near to God. John 1.12 says this, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe or call on his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. That means if you put your trust in Jesus in the finished work of the cross, that means that you're a son or a daughter of God. That means that I can boldly come in his presence and, and, and I don't have to worry about what he thinks about me. I know what he thinks about me. He loves me. He loves me so much and he loves you so much that he would send Jesus to die a horrendous death and hang on a tree and be buried for three days and resurrect because that's how much he loves you. So I don't have to worry about what the enemy says that God thinks about me. I know what my father thinks about me. You know, when I first started praying, as I said, it was short, it was awkward, it was repetitive, I didn't know what to do. And I would find myself sometimes when I didn't know what to do and I had a big need, I'd just start begging God. Like, God, please, God, like, God, you got, all day long, God, you, God, you, you, you gotta show up, right? And it was almost like I was just pleading and begging. We have a dog. She's a rescue dog. She has one eye. So we call her One-Eye Ricky. We've had her for a long time, and she's very well taken care of. We feed her twice a day, every day, and she gets a whole bunch of snacks in between. I mean, she's got the life. She lays around and sleeps all day. She scratches on the door to go outside. She'll go outside, do her business. She'll sunbathe for a little bit. She'll come back inside and hopefully give her a snack. But every single day without fail, when it comes time for her to eat, Ricky, you want to eat? And she jumps up and gets excited. And then we go get her food. And then she'll sit down and she'll look at you and she'll turn sideways. And she'll look as pitiful as she can. And she'll just, I think she's having flashbacks from days when she was on the street. You know what I'm saying? And then like she just starts shaking and trembling, begging. I'm like, you know what we feed you every day? Like, what are you doing? Stop it. Guess what? A lot of us, when it comes to our prayer life with God, we're like one-eyed Ricky. We're sitting there looking at God with our, looking as pitiful as we can, like, God, please, please. And he's like, I got you. I, can't, I got you. Slow your roll. I got what you need. Everything you need is found in me. You don't have to beg. You don't have to strain. You certainly can't strong arm God. He loves you so much, and he just wants to bless your life. He just wants, that doesn't mean you don't go through stuff. But when I go through stuff, I got the Holy Spirit with me, so why do I need to worry and fret? I can face anything in life because I've got God living on the inside of me. <laughs> gospel of Luke is known as the gospel of prayer. It's because Luke records more insight and more instances to Jesus' prayer life than, than any other gospel. And the disciples by Luke 11, they had been with Jesus for a while now. And they had seen him often slip off and go, and the Bible says he would go up on this mountain and pray. He would go to a solitary place or a lonely place where no one was around, and he would pray all night. And they were watching this. 
And they're like, there's something to this prayer thing that he's doing. Like, they're intuitive to know, enough to know, like, like, there's power in what he's doing. Like, this isn't just like any other kind of like thing that we've seen before. Like, this is the key to what he's doing. And one day while, while Jesus is praying, they're watching him. And then we pick it up in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. It says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples came to, came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. In another gospel, it's probably written out like you're probably mostly familiar quoting it. But it's the same prayer, basically. And and it's known as the Lord's Prayer, but it's really not the Lord's Prayer. It's really the disciples' prayer. I mean, is, I, we don't really know if that's, that's what Jesus prayed, but notice that they said, teach us to pray. Not teach us a prayer or teach us a repetitive thing. There were Jewish young men. They knew how to pray. They actually knew a lot of prayers. Like it was part of that culture. What they were saying is, the way we're praying and the way everyone else is praying and the way you're praying, there's something different. Like, can you teach us to do what you're doing? And Jesus said, listen, When you start off, this is how you approach God. He's your Father, our Father who's in heaven. Hallowed or holy be your name. He's a holy God. He's your Father. You approach him as a son or as a daughter, not as some distant God that you've heard about, not some distant God who's waiting to thump you upside the head when you mess up. He's a Father who has good things, and he loves you, and he's looking out for your best interests. Then he he starts saying, like, pray your kingdom come and your will be done. And what Jesus is really saying, it's, it's God's kingdom, yes, in the earth. We need his kingdom in the earth. But really, it's his kingdom in you and in me. And he's saying, listen, ask my father to establish his values in you, his kingdom in you. And then he goes on in the prayer. Now, you can say this prayer. You, you can, I think you should memorize it. I think you should pray it. Certainly, if you don't really have a vibrant prayer life, like this is a place to start. But... It's really a template is really what it is. He's like saying, if, if you don't know how to pray, you don't know what to do, this is a template on, on how you could pray, right? But he goes on in Luke chapter 11, and he gives two analogies, okay? So the first analogy he says is, there's a guy, and he has a friend that comes to him in the midnight hour. You're thinking, if you were my friend and you showed up to my house at midnight, I will kill you. But back in the Middle East, it's really hot, hotter than it is outside right now. It's gonna be 106 tomorrow, I heard, so it's even hotter than that. And, and they would often travel at night. And so they would travel at night to get away from the heat and, and, and like that wasn't unusual. So they were kind of used to that. But also as part of their custom, like it was a part of your honor. Your honor was at stake. When somebody showed up at your house, you had to put something before. Like you had to have some chips and queso or something, you know what I'm saying? Some salsa at least, right? And so this guy, he's there, he gets a knock on his door and it's a visitor and he's like, okay, I'm stressed out. I have nothing to sell. I have no bread. So he goes to his neighbor's house and he's banging on the door and the neighbor's like, look, man, I'm in bed. My kids are in bed. I'm not getting up, man, and opening that door. He's like, I've got a visitor. I have nothing to set before him. And the Bible says that he tries to send him away. But because of his audacity, because of his persistence of knocking, the neighbor's like, all right. And he gets up and he gives him the bread, gives him what he needs, and then he goes back to bed. 
Now, the second analogy Jesus says right after the Lord teaches to pray, the second analogy is he asks this question. He says, which of you being a good father, if your son comes to you and asks for a fish, are you going to give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, are you going to give him a scorpion? He's like, listen, if you are evil by nature, meaning sinful, right? Means if you're a dad out there, you know you've missed the mark sometimes. I know I have a lot of times, right? We get it wrong sometimes. If you can give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to what, who asks? What is he saying? He's contrasting two stories. He's saying, listen, don't approach God in prayer like he's the guy in bed with his kids and it's midnight and you have to bang and bang and bang and bang on the door until finally he gets annoyed and he gets up and he gives you what you need. That's not your heavenly father. He's like this guy. He's like the good father that's not gonna give bad gifts to his children when they ask. That's how you approach prayer. That's how we approach it. I wanna give you three Ps of prayer, and then I want to pray for you. The first P is this. It's the privilege of prayer. Prayer is a privilege. Because in the Old Testament, before the cross, there was a lot of things that you had to do in order to get access to God. And honestly, only a few people really had access to God. And so you were kind of like on the outside. You kind of had to go this certain route, this religious system, in order to be able to get to God. But on this side of the cross, Jesus has made a way for you and I, we can go right up to the throne of God. I, I, I love the fact that you know, there's access available to us. I don't have to like do a bunch of things, I can go right to God. Anytime you wanna talk to God, guess what? You can talk to God and God will hear you and God will listen. The second P of prayer is the, the, uh, the priority of prayer. And the priority of prayer is this. It's the simple understanding of I'm limited. God's not. I, I don't have all the answers. God does. Today is a new day filled with new challenges and new opportunities, and I need to be filled fresh today for whatever God has my way. It's the, it's the priority of prayer. It's understanding this priority and this truth. The root system of your life is formed and is strengthened by your daily habits. Pastor Tim was just talking about that 18-year-old tree with, with big roots, right? How is the root system of my life developed? It's developed by spending time with God on a consistent basis through prayer and through worship and through fellowship with him. And all of a sudden, you look up and you have very strong roots, I don't know if you realize this or not, but our souls are like gardens. And there is something growing on the inside of each and every one of us. Whether you're tending to it or whether you're not, whether it's good fruit or bad fruit, why does that matter? It matters because of this simple reason. The only thing that you and I have to offer the world around us is whatever it is that we're growing on the inside. That is the only thing that you can give. You give, you, you can give knowledge, but knowledge is not gonna help anyone. You only give what you're cultivating in the life of the unseen world of your heart by spending time with God. The third P of prayer is the power of prayer. This is the fun part. The power of prayer, because James 5 says this, the prayer of the righteous are powerful and effective. I don't know about you, but I want my prayer life to be powerful. I want my prayer life to be effective. I want my prayer life to have some faith and some, some weight and some substance 
behind it, right? And so I know that like every single day that when I wake up, that, that I can be at any moment an answer, that God could use me as an answer to the need around me. Just like last Saturday night, I was driving home from church. As I'm driving home from church, I'm, I mean, my problem is I'm always got worship music on, I'm always praying, just talk too much, and it's like, we, we don't like to be silent. The Bible does say, peace be still. We have a hard time being still. We're always on phones and stuff. And so as I was driving home and praying and worshiping God, I just like, I just felt impressed to like, hey man, just turn everything off. So I turned everything off and I asked God, I said, Lord, what's on your heart? You know what's on my heart. It just comes out. I mean, I poured out, what's on your heart? I wanna know what's on your heart. When's the last time that you asked the Father that? Lord, what's on your heart? I wanna know what you're concerned with. I wanna know what, what you're thinking about. And it wasn't three minutes down the road. All of a sudden, I see this man on the side of the road, and he's got a cardboard sign, and it says, U.S. Marine Corps vet needing two pairs of shorts and a shirt. And I thought, that's really different. <laughs> All right, Lord. I turned my truck around. I whip in there. I rolled down my window, and I was like, hey, man, what's up? I was like, um, what's your name? He's like, Finn, like Huck Finn. I said, oh, all right, Finn, like how old are you? He said, man, I'm 65. I said, Finn, man, you hungry? He's like, no, no, actually, man, I just had something to eat. I said, do you, do you need, I don't have a lot of money on me, but do you need, some, do you need money? He's like, no, man, I'm got, I need two pairs of shorts and a shirt. I just got a job. I have, had some clothes stolen uh, at the last place I was staying, man, and I, I was just trying to get on my feet. I said, Finn, get in the truck. He's like, huh? I don't recommend just picking up random people, but I was on assignment, you know what I'm saying? So I kind of vetted, the, like, he's 65, man. I'm, okay, get in the truck, Finn. <laughs> so we get in the truck, and he, I said, there's a Walmart around the corner. And so I took him to Walmart, uh, Walmart. And so I get out of the truck, and we start to walk in, and he's pretty dirty. Because he, you know, been sleeping under the bridge. And, and uh, he's like, hey, man, um, they don't want me in there. I said, Finn, it's all good. You just been look like you, a hardworking man. You just look like you're working hard. I said, you with me, come on. We go into Walmart, grab a cart, and we talk, and he's telling me a story, walk around. We just get him a couple pairs of shorts, two, three polo shirts, and I was like, man, what about an athletic shirt? It's hot outside. Oh, yeah, yeah, what you think? What you think, boss? Which one should I get? I'm like, man, whatever one you want. Like, whatever you want, Finn, let's get it. And we get it. We walk back to the cart. He's like, I can't believe this is happening to me. I said, Finn, You're not forgotten. I said, Finn, where, where can I drop you off? I said, better yet. I said, bro, I said, when's the last time you had a shower, watched some TV, and just slept in a good bed? He said, oh, man, boss. He kept calling me boss. He said, boss, he said, it's been about a month and a half. I said, were well, you staying in a hotel tonight, Finn? No, man, I can't do that. I said, no, I insist. Oh, man, I can't believe this is happening. I said, Finn, you're a good man. Go to the hotel, get him a room. He texts me the next morning, Mr. Caswell. He called me, Mr. Caswell. He's like, best night's sleep I've had in so long. I took three showers. It was amazing. Thank you so much. <laughs> Walks out of that hotel room with looking fly. You think, well, man, that's good for you, but I, I don't know if I could do something like that. Maybe not, but you know what you could do? 
is you can ask God what's on his heart. It could be somebody in your family. Could be somebody you work with. Could be your neighbor. What I love about Jesus is he was so in tune with his father. His prayer life was rooted in the approval and the nature of God. He's confident, man. He said, my father's always working. All he had to do was walk around and say whatever the father said and look to see where, oh, he, I see my father, he's moving over here. And he would go over there. That's how God wants you and I to live. Wake up and go, God, what are we gonna get into today? What, what do you wanna do, Lord? What's on your heart? Because you know what's on my heart. I don't even have to bring it. You already know before the words get out of my mouth, the Bible says, what is on my heart? So God, what's on your heart? I love you. I know you love me. I'm confident. Not in my abilities. I'm confident in who you say that I am. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, or you're watching online, or you're watching this at another date, and you're saying, man, I'm inspired. I don't know all about the what, the mechanics of prayer, but I, I get the why. And I want to do that. Maybe there's some basic questions that you have, like, when should I pray? A simple answer would be as often as possible. When my feet hit the floor in the morning, Father, I thank you for a new day. Holy Spirit, fill me today. Jesus, I love you. As I go about my day, I'm just praying, just trying to hear God as best that I can. How long should I pray? Until you get the answer you're looking for? Until you get the breakthrough you're looking for? Until whatever it is that you're doing doesn't become a routine anymore, it becomes a relationship, something real and personable? See, a lot of people, they focus on the quantity of prayer and not the quality. It doesn't have to be real long, but it just has to be real. Like, he knows the real you, not the front, not the mask we wear. He knows the real tyrant. He knows who I am. He knows the crazy thoughts that go through my mind. I'll be walking around my house sometimes, and my wife's like, who are you talking to? There's only two people I'm talking to. I'm talking to myself to be quiet, or I'm talking to God. It's one or the other. Like, don't think that. I rebuke that. Where should I pray? Wherever you are. Go on a walk. Go on the green belt. Sit in your back patio. Sit on the back porch. Sit in your favorite chair in the morning with a cup of coffee and open up the Bible. Just spend time with God wherever you are. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be a set place. It could just be wherever. Okay, well, well what, do I, what if I don't know what to say? Just call on the name. Just call on his name. Just speak the name of Jesus if that's all you know. Just say his name and he will show up. He will flood your life with this presence, I'm telling you, man, I am so addicted to the presence of God, I can't get enough. I don't like to cry, I don't like to get emotional, I can't, I can't help it. He profoundly has touched me so deeply. In my darkest moment, he touched me. Tears did just come up because I'm so grateful. I wouldn't be here this morning standing here talking to you if it wasn't for the love of God, I just wouldn't be. Maybe you're here, and maybe you're thinking, man, that's great, that's awesome, but I feel alone. I felt like that. I felt alone before. When I, 
moved to Texas. I bought a one-way ticket on a Greyhound bus, and all I had was a duffel bag and some clothes. And God said, go reconcile your relationship with your father. So I set off, didn't know what God had for me. And that first year to almost two years of my life, I didn't have any friends. Go to work, I'd work out, I'd come home, and I'd just spend time with God, cultivating a life that no one else saw, but God saw. And he knew the desires of my heart, and he eventually brought me some friends. And those friends became family. I like to say it like this, you're found by God, but you're formed in family. God will bring the right people into your life at the right time. But if you feel alone, I saw it as a blessing at the time because I was like, I have an opportunity to cultivate faithfulness when no one's around. Don't waste the season that you're in. You're here today and you're even thinking like, I don't know, like maybe I married the wrong person because like we're always fighting. Like I don't even know what's going on. I don't even know if we like each other. Let me help you. Sometimes what we do is we put too much expectation on our spouse. My wife's sitting on the front row. I love her. She's the best thing outside of Jesus that has ever happened in my life. But she is not the sole source of my peace and my joy and my happiness. I can't put that on her because it would be a burden that she could never, ever get out from under. She can't fulfill it. Like, you got to get from God what only you can get from God. And get from people what you can get from people. And so, if you just start seeking God, whether it's small, you're just starting out, or you're continuing your journey of a life for prayer because there's so much more that God wants to show you. If you get what you need from God, you won't have that expectation uh, uh, on your spouse. It doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect because it won't be. But you'll put the burden where the burden is due. I want to pray for you this morning. Father, I pray, Lord, for every person within the sound of my voice. Lord, I thank you for the fellowship and the life that we can have through Jesus Christ. I thank you, Lord, that we don't have to strain and worry about all the mechanics of prayer, that we can focus on the why. We can focus on the heart and the nature. That, Lord, we would do it not out of duty, but we would do it out of desire. And we would seek you, God, because, God, you first sought us and because you love us. And so, Lord, I pray as we, Lord, go on this cultivating a life of prayer journey, Lord, whether it's starting out, whether we're stagnated, whether we're in one of those traps, pray that you would pull us out, God. Or, Lord, if we have a rich prayer life, I pray that you would continue to reveal yourself to us in a powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Jesus, please don't hesitate to reach out through our website at milestonechurch.com. And if you found this podcast helpful, leave a review on the podcast app or your favorite podcast platform. We hope you have a great week.